Heart of the World by H. Ryder Haggard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 17 The Curse of Zebalbe. Thankful enough was I to rise from the ground, feeling my life whole in me. "'Death has been near to us,' said the Signor, with something between a sob and a laugh, as we followed Zibalbe and Maya into the guardhouse. "'He is near to us still,' I answered. "'But at least, unless Tikal changes his mind, we have won some days of respite.' "'Thanks to her,' he said, nodding towards Maya. And as he spoke we entered the guard-house, a small chamber with a massive door, somewhat roughly furnished. So soon as we were in the door was shut upon us, and we found ourselves alone. Zibalbe sat himself down, and fixing his eyes upon the wall, stared at it as though it offered no hindrance to his sight. But the rest of us stood together near the door, listening to the turmoil of the multitude without. Clearly argument ran high among them, for we could hear the sound of angry voices, of shouting, and of the scurrying footfalls of the people leaving the pyramid by way of the great stair. "'You have saved our lives for a while, for which we owe you thanks,' said the Signor to Maya presently. "'But tell me, what will they do with us now?' "'I cannot say,' she answered. But in this pyramid are chambers where we shall be hidden away until our day of trial. At the least I think so, for they dare not let us out among the people, lest we should cause a tumult in the city. Before the words had left her lips, the door was opened, and through it came Tikal, Matai, and other of the great lords who were hostile to Zibalbe. "'What is your pleasure with us?' asked Sibalbe, awakening from his dream. "'That you should follow me,' answered Tikal sternly. "'You and the others,' adding with a low bow to Maya, "'forgive me, lady, that I must exercise this violence toward you and your father, "'but I have no other choice if I would save you from the vengeance of the people.' "'It is not the vengeance of the people that we have to fear to call,' she answered quietly, "'but rather your hate, which it is in your power to appease, lady,' he said in a low voice. "'It may be in my power, but not in my will,' she answered, setting her lips. "'Come, cousin, take us to the dungeon that you have prepared for us.' "'As you wish,' he said, "'follow me,' and he led the way across the guardhouse through a sleeping chamber of the priests that lay behind it, and to the farther wall that was hidden by a curtain. This curtain, on being drawn, revealed a small stone door, which Matai, having first lit some lamps that stood ready in the chamber, unlocked with a key that hung at his girdle. One by one we passed through the door, Tikal preceding us, and Matai with others of the great lords, uh, to number of six, followed after us. Beyond the door lay a flight of twenty steps, then came a gate of copper bars. 
On the further side of this gate were flight upon flight of steps, joined together by landings, and running now in this direction, now in that, into the bowels of the mighty pyramid. At length, when my limbs were weary of descending so many stairs, we found ourselves in front of other gates, larger and more beautifully worked than those that we had already passed. Presently they clanged behind us, and we stood in a vast apartment or hall that was built in the heart of the pyramid. It would seem that this hall had been made ready for our coming, for it was lighted with many silver lamps, and in one part of it rugs were laid, on which stood tables and seats. So great was the place that the light of the lamps shone in it only as stars shine in the sky. Still, as we passed down it, we saw that its roof was vaulted, and that its walls and floors were of white marble finely polished. Once, as we learned afterwards, it had served as the assembly rooms for the priests of the temple, but now that they were so few it was not used, except from time to time as a prison for offenders of high rank. At intervals along its length were doors leading to sleeping and other chambers. Some of the doors were open, and as we passed them, Matai told us that these were to be our bedchambers. Then, having announced that food would be brought to us, the nobles headed by Tikal withdraw, and we heard the copper gates clash, and the echo of their footsteps die into nothingness upon the endless stairs. For a while we stood staring at each other in silence. It was Zabalbe who broke it, and his voice rang strangely in the vaulted place. "'It is his hour now,' he said, shaking his fists toward the stair by which Tikal had left us. "'Let him pray that mine may never come.' And suddenly he turned, and walking to the couch, flung himself upon it and buried his face in his hands. Maya followed him, and bending down, strove to comfort him, but he waved her away, and she came back to us. "'This is a gloomy place,' said the Signor in a half-whisper, for here one scarcely dared to speak aloud because of the echoes that ran about the walls. "'But dark though it is, it seems safer than the summit of the pyramid, where sword-points are so many,' and he pointed to a little cut upon his throat. "'It is safe enough,' Maya answered with a bitter laugh, and safely will it keep our bones till the world's end through these gates and the men that guard them there is no escape and the death that threatened us in the sunshine shall overtake us in the shadow did i not warn you against this mad quest and the seeking of the city of my people i warned you both and you would not listen and now the trouble is at hand and your lives will pay for the forfeit for your folly and my father's. What must be, must be, answered the Signor with a sigh. But for my part, I hope that the worst is past, and that they will not kill us. It was your father's rashness which brought these evils on us, and perhaps misfortune may teach him wisdom. Never, she answered, shaking her head, for they are right. On this matter he is mad, as you, Ignatio, are mad also. 
Come, let us look at our prison, for I have not seen it till this hour. And taking one of the hand lamps that stood near, she walked down the length of the hall. At its further end were gates similar to those at which we had entered, and through them came a draught of air. Where do they lead? I asked. I do not know, she answered. Perhaps to the sanctuary by a secret way. At least the pyramid is full of these chambers that in old days were used for many things, such as the storage of corn and weapons, and the burying places of priests, thousands of whom are at rest within it. Now they are empty and deserted. As we walked back again, I stopped before a wooden door that stood ajar, leading into one of the chambers of which I had spoken. Let us go in, said Maya, pushing it open, and we entered to find ourselves in a small room lined with shelves. On these shelves, each of which was numbered, lay hundreds of rolls thickly covered with dust. Maya took up one of them at, at a hazard and unrolled the parchment, revealing a manuscript beautifully executed in the picture-painting of the Indians. This must be nearly a thousand years old, she said. I know it by the style of the painting. Well, we shall not lack history to read while we sojourn here. And she threw the priceless roll back on its shelf and left the chamber. A few steps further on we came to another room of which the door was closed, but so rotten was the woodwork with age that a push freed it from its fastenings, and we entered. Here also there were shells packed, some of them with yellow and some of them with white bars of metal. Copper and lead, said the Signor, glancing at them. Not so, said Maya with a laugh, but that which you white men covet, gold and silver. Look what is painted above the shelves. And she held up the lamp and read. Pure metal from the southern mines, set apart for the service of the temple of the heart, and of the temples of the east and west, of gold, of such a weight, of silver such a weight. I stared, and my eyes grew greedy, for here is, in this one room, neglected and forgotten, was enough wealth to carry out my purpose three times over, stored there by the forefathers of this strange, rust-eaten race. Ah, if only I could see one half of it safe across the mountains, how great might be my future, and that of the people which I live to serve. Perhaps you may win it after all, Ignacio, said Maya, interpreting my thoughts. But to be frank, I fear that you will gain nothing except a sepulchre in these gloomy vaults. After this we visited several chambers that were empty or filled only with the wreck of moth-eaten tapestries and curious furniture, till at length we came to a room, or rather a large cupboard, piled from floor to ceiling with golden vessels of the most quaint and ancient workmanship, which had been discarded by the priests and cast aside as worthless. Why, I do not know. In front of this gleaming pile stood a chest, unlocked, that the Signor opened. 
It was packed with priestly ornaments of gold set with great emeralds. Maya picked out a belt from the box and gave it to me, saying, Take it, Ignatio, since you love such trinkets. It will set off that robe of yours. I took it and put it on, not over my robe, but beneath it. My friend, it is the clasp of that belt, which now is yours, that I showed you a while ago, and with the price of the other gems in it, I bought this hacienda and all of its lands. Wearied at length of the sight of so much useless treasure, we returned to Zibalbe, who was seated as we had left him, lost in thought. At this moment the gates of our prison were opened, and men came through them, escorted by captains of the guard, bringing with them food in plenty, which they set upon the table, waiting on us while we ate, but speaking no word, good or bad. Our meal finished, they cleared away the fragments, and, having replenished the lamps and prepared the chambers for us to sleep in, they bowed and left us. For a while we sat round the table, Zibalbe and I in silence, and Maya and the Signor talking together in a low voice, till at length the dreariness of the place overcame us, and, as though by a common impulse, we rose and sought the sleeping vaults there to rest, if we might. We slept and woke and rose again, though whether it were night or day here, uh, where no light came, we could not tell. Indeed, as time went on, our only means of distinguishing the other from the other was by the visits of those who brought our food and waited on us. I think it must have been in the early afternoon of the day following that, that on which we were imprisoned that Tikal visited us, accompanied only by four guards. A small band, said the Signor, as he watched them advance, but enough to put us to death who are unarmed, for all our weapons had been taken from us. If such should be their will. Have no fear, friend, said Maya, they will not do murder so openly. By now Tikal stood before us bowing, and Zibalbe, who as usual was seated brooding at the table, looked up and saw him. "'What do you seek, traitor?' he asked angrily, the blood flushing beneath his withered skin. "'Would you kill us? If so, slay on, for thus shall I come the sooner to the bosom of that god whose vengeance I shall call down upon you.' "'I am no murderer, Zibalbay,' answered Tikal with dignity. If you die, it will be by the command of the law that you have broken, and not by mine. I am here to speak with you, if you will come apart with me. Then speak on before these others, or leave your words unsaid, he answered. For not one step will I stir with you, who doubtless seek some opportunity to stab me in the back. Yet it is necessary that you should hear what I have to say, Zibalbe. Say on, then, traitor, or go. Tikal thought for a while, looking doubtfully at Maya, from whose face, indeed, he rarely took his eyes. Uh, it is your wish that I should withdraw? she asked shortly. 
"'It is not mine,' said Zibalbay. "'Stay where you are, daughter.' Now Tikal hesitated no longer, but bidding the guards who had accompanied him to fall back out of earshot, he said, "'Listen, Zibalbay. "'Yesterday before the gathering on the pyramid, "'I saw your daughter, the Lady Maya, and spoke with her, "'telling her that now, as always, I loved her, "'although believing her to be dead for reasons I state,' I had taken another woman to my wife. Then I made her this offer, that if she would consent to become my wife, I would put away Nawa, whom I had married. Moreover, I added this, that I would give up my place as Kachike to you, Zibalbe, whose it is by right to hold for as long as you should live and would not oppose you or your policy in any matter. I told her, on the other hand, that if she refused to become my wife, I would surrender nothing, but would put out my strength to crush you and her, and these strangers, your friends. She answered me with contempt, saying that I might do my worst, but she would have naught to say to me. What happened afterwards you know, Zibalbe. And you know also the danger in which you stand today, now that power has left you, and your very life trembles in the balance. He paused, and Zibalbe, who had been listening to his words, amazed, turned to Maya and said sternly, Does this man speak lies, daughter? As she was about to answer, though, what she meant to say, I do not know, Tikal broke in. What is the use of asking her, Zibalbe? It is to be thought that she will answer you truly. Though I speak truth, this wanderer who stands at your side can bear witness, for he was present and heard my words. This offer I made to her, and, that it may be put beyond a doubt, now I make it to her and to you again. If she will take me in marriage, for her sake I will put away Nahua, I will lay down my rule and set you in your place again with liberty, so long as you shall live, to work such follies as the gods may suffer. All these things I will do because I love her to whom I have been affianced from my youth, up better than all, because she is as the light to mine eyes and the breath to my nostrils, and without her I have no joy in life as I have had none since I believed her to be dead. Sibalbe heard, and rising, lifted his hand to the vault above him, and said, I thank thee, O God, who, in answer to my prayers, has shown me a way to escape from the troubles that beset me. Tikal, it shall be as you wish, and we will swear our peace upon the altar of the heart. Doubtless there will be trouble with Matai and some of his following, but if we stand together they can be overcome. Rejoice with me, Ignacio, my friend, for now the seed that we have planted with so much labor shall bring forth golden fruit. Here I heard the Señor groan with doubt and wrath behind me, and knew that, like so many others, this vision which filled my mind with glory must be brought to nothing because of the fancy of a woman. Your pardon, Zibalbe, I interrupted. The Lady Maya has not spoken. 
"'Spoken!' he exclaimed. "'Why, what should she say?' "'What I said to my cousin Tikal yesterday,' she answered, "'setting her lips and speaking very low, "'that I will have nothing to do with him.' "'Nothing to do with him, girl? "'Nothing to do with him? "'Why, he is your fianced. "'You do not understand.' "'I understand well, father, but for naught that can be offered to me upon the earth "'will I give myself in marriage to a man who has treated you and me "'as my cousin Tikal has done, "'a man who could not keep his oath to you "'or wait for me one single year.' "'Cease to be foolish,' said Zabalbe. "'Tikal has erred, no doubt.' but now he would make atonement for his error, and I can forgive him, so can you. Think no more of the girl's folly to call, but send for ink and parchment, and let us set down our contract, for I am old and have little time to lose. Perhaps before another year is gone, that which you would have snatched by force shall come to you by right." "'I have the paper here, Lord,' said Tikal, drawing a roll from his breast. "'But pardon me, does the Lady Maya consent?' "'Ay, ay, she consents. I do not consent, Father. "'And if you drag me to the altar with yonder man, "'I will cry out to the people to protect me, "'or failing their aid, I will seek refuge in death by my own hand, if need be.' Now Zibalbay turned upon his daughter, trembling with rage, but checking himself of a sudden, he said, "'Tikal, for the moment this girl of mine is mad. Leave us, and come back in some few hours when you shall find her in another mind. Go now, I pray, before words are said that cannot be forgotten.' Tikal turned and went, and until the gates at the far end of the hall had clashed behind him and his guards, there was silence. Then Zabalbe spoke to his daughter. "'Girl,' he said, "'I know your heart, and that your lips spoke a lie when you told us that it was because of Tikal's forgetfulness of his vow and troth that you will not marry him.' There is another reason of which you have not spoken. This white man, who is in our country, is named James Strickland, is the reason. You have suffered yourself to look on him with longing, and you cannot pluck his image from your heart. Do I speak the truth? You speak the truth, father, she answered, placing her hand in that of the senor as she said the words. To you, at least, I will not lie. I thank you, daughter. Now hear me. I am sorry for your plight, and for that of the white man, if indeed he would make of you anything more than his toy. But here your wishes must give way to the common good. Who and what are you that your whims should stand between me and the fulfillment of my lifelong desire, between your people and their redemption? Must all these things come to nothing because of the fancies of a lovesick girl 
whose poor beauty as it chances by favour of the gods can avail to bring them about it seems so father she said seeing that in this matter my duty to myself and to him who loves me and whom i love is higher than my duty to you and your scheme everything else you who are my father may require of me even to my life but my honour is my own what shall i say to this headstrong girl gasped Sibalbe. speak white man and tell me that you renounce her for surely your heart is not so wicked that it will lead you to consent to this folly and to your own undoing to stand between her and her destiny now all eyes were fixed upon the Signor, who turned pale in the lamplight, and answered slowly, Zibalbe, I grieve to vex you, but your daughter's destiny and mine are one, nor can I command her to forsake me and give herself in marriage to a man she hates. Yet it seems that you command her to break her plighted troth for your sake? Oh, most honourable white man, said Zibalbe with a bitter laugh, hearken, friend Ignacio, for you at least are not in love. Tell your brother there and this rebellious girl which way their duty lies. Teach them that we are sent here to dwell upon the earth for higher ends than the satisfying of our own desires. Stay, before you speak, remember that with this matter your own fate is interwoven remember how you have suffered and striven for many years remember all you have undergone to win what to-day lies in your grasp the wealth that shall enable you to carry out your purposes there in these vaults it lies to your hand and if that not be enough i will give you more Take it, Ignacio. Take it to bribe your enemies and pay your armies and become a king, a righteous king, crowned by heaven to complete the destinies of our race. Say such words as shall bend this girl and her lover to our will and triumph, or fail to say them, and some few days hence meet the end of a thief at the hands of Tikal. Now speak. I heard him, and my heart stood still within me. Alas, his words were true, and now was the turning point of my fate. If the girl would give herself to Tikal, who was mad with love of her, all would be well, and within three years the dream of my race might be fulfilled and the vengeance of generations accomplished upon the spawn of the accursed spaniard there in these vaults useless and forgotten lay the treasures that i needed and yonder in mexico were men in thousands who by their means might be armed and led but between me and them stood the desire of this woman and the folly of my friend oh truly had my heart warned me against her when first i learned to know her lovely face having foreknowledge of the evil that she should bring upon me 
With her I could do nothing, for who can turn a woman from her love or hate? But with my friend it was otherwise. He would listen to me if I pleaded with him, seeing that not only my hopes but my very life hung upon his answer, and no true man has the right to bring others to their death in order that he may fulfill the wishes of his heart. Also, it would be better that he should be separated from this girl, who was not of his blood and color, and whose love soon or late would be his undoing. Surely I should do well to pray him to let her go to the man whose affiance she had been, and he would do well to hearken to me. Almost the entreaty was upon my lips when Maya, reading my thought, touched me on the arm and whispered, "'Remember your oath, Ignacio.' Then I called to mind what I had promised yonder in the desert, when by her courage she had saved her lover's life, and knew that once again a woman must be my ruin, since it is better to lose all than to break such vows as this. "'Zibolbe,' I said, I cannot plead your cause and mine, though not to do so be our destruction, seeing that I have sworn that, come what may, I will not stand between these two. Today, for the second time in my life, my plans are brought to nothing by the passion of a woman. Well, so it is fated, and so let it be. Zibalbe did not answer me, but turning to the Signor, he said, White man, you have heard from your friend words that should touch you more deeply than any prayer. Will you still cling to your purpose and take advantage of my daughter's madness? If so, know that your triumph shall be short. For when in some few hours Tikal comes again, I will tell him all, and give you over to his keeping, to deal with as he wishes. Then heaven help you, wanderer, for he is vengeful by nature. Nor is that life likely to be long which bars the way between a ruler of men and the woman he would wed. Answer then, and for the last time, do you choose life or death? I choose death, he said boldly. If the price of life be the breaking of my troth and the surrender of my bride to another man, I am sorry for you, Zibolbe, and for you, Ignatio, my friend, I am still more sorry. But it is fate and not I that has brought these evils on you. If Ignatio here cannot forget his oath, how much less can I forget mine, which I have sworn with this lady? Moreover, worse fortune even than today's would come upon us if I did, seeing that such cowardice could breed no luck. Therefore, till the Lady Maya renounces me for good or for evil, in death or in life, I will cleave to her and in death or in life i will cleave to you beloved she said 
take such vengeance as you wish upon us, my father. Yes, if you wish it, give over this man to whom my heart drew me across the mountains and the desert to die at the hands of Tikal, but know that he will hold me faster dead than he did while he was alive, for into the valley of death I shall follow him swiftly. Now at last the rage of Zabalbe broke loose, and it was terrible. Rising from his seat, he shook his clenched hands above his daughter's head and cursed her, till in her fear she shrank away from him to her lover's breast. "'As with my last breath,' he cried, "'I pray that curse of your souls, of your country, of your ancestors, and of me, your father, may rest upon you and your children.' May your desire turn to ashes in your mouth, and may death rob you of its fruit. May your heart break by inches for remorse and sorrow, and your name become a hissing and a shame. Oh, I seem to see the future, and I tell you, daughter, that you shall win him for whose sake you brought your father to death and ruin. By fraud shall you win him, and for a while he shall lie at your side, and this is the price that shall be asked of you, and that you shall pay the doom of your race and its destruction at your hands. He paused, gasping for breath, and Maya fell at his knees, sobbing. Oh, father, unsay those words and spare me. Have you no pity for a woman's heart? Ay, he said, so much pity as you have for my sorrows and gray hair. Why should I spare you, girl, who have not spared me, your father? My curse is spoken, and I will add this to it, that it will break your heart at last. I and the heart of that man who has robbed me of your duty and your love. Then suddenly he ceased speaking. His eyes grew empty. He stretched out his arms and fell heavily to the floor. End of chapter 17